Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Love Doctor podcast, research-informed advice that can lubricate any conversation about sex. My name is Dr. Leah Tidy, and I'm so glad to have you here. Today on the show, I'm answering your questions about accessing inclusive sexual health care and what to do if your doctor has very different values than you. Like, are they still going to offer you an IUD if you're single and queer? I also interview social media personality and YouTuber Rachel Leary. We talk about what it's like sharing your life online as a woman, the struggles of trying to date as an influencer, and what she has learned about sexual health from starting her own podcast, Rated R with Rachel Leary. But first, today in sex. Dan Savage revolutionized sex. Then the revolution came for him. This is the title of a Slate article by L.V. Anderson that came out in September of this year. And as a longtime Savage Lovecast listener, and honestly, you know, Dan Savage was a huge influence on me starting this podcast, it was really fascinating to hear more about Dan Savage's journey through his advice column, the podcast, and becoming America's spokesperson for sex. But what this article really highlights is how Dan Savage offered some really terrible advice when he first got started. Now, in the article, he talks about the first advice that he ever gave was to a 16-year-old girl who said that she was experiencing sexual and romantic feelings for one of her female friends, and her boyfriend had given her permission to go for it. And what Dan advised was to go to a party, get super drunk, and to basically corner this poor girl in a room and try and like have some sort of sexual experience. And then if it went well, great um, and amazing. Now you've had this sexual experience with them. And if not, then just blame it on the alcohol. Listening to this now and, and reading it, you know, and hearing like Dan Savage just cringe hearing of the advice that he had given. I think he was 26 at the time when he gave that advice and in a very different era in the 1990s. And understandably, we know why that advice is so toxic. But I think we also forget that today, talking about consent is so embedded in our culture, hopefully not enough though. But it was, but not that it was non-existent, but it wasn't nearly to the same degree back in the 90s. I've been thinking a lot about our capacity for change and our capacity to realize when we fuck up because that's exactly what Dan did like that kind of advice especially as someone who's 26 offering to someone who's a decade younger than yourself but what I found interesting was Dan when he was unpacking why he gave that advice it was because when he was a young man grappling with his sexuality trying to figure out you know was it okay to be gay and realizing that society didn't think so? By him consuming alcohol and then hooking up with someone, that was a way to like safely have that experience and not have to, when you're sober, grapple with what that means. So no, this is not absolving Dan for offering that advice. And I really hope that that 16-year-old girl did not take that advice. But realizing how far Dan Savage's advice has come over the last 30 years. Like, literally, there are terms in terms of sexual health, education, and promotion that we use all the time that come from Dan Savage. Again, I don't want to give too much away because this Slate article is so fantastic. But if you have used the terms pegging, monogamish, GGG, yeah, these are all Dan Savage sayings. So I highly recommend reading that article. 
But what I want to say around this capacity for change, the way that we can evolve and understand ourselves and the world in different ways, uh, I read this really amazing uh, post from Decolonize Myself on Instagram. And they had reposted it from Yummy Yanni, who on their Twitter said, People who try to use my old tweets against me, you can't, lol. I have never denied that I am capable of change, that I am capable of confronting my mistakes and learning. Yeah, I've been wrong before, and I will be wrong again. I'm not afraid to be human, to be fallible, to be me. And now I want to hold myself accountable for the opinions that I share right now, but I also find it immensely comforting and deeply uncomfortable to think of the amount of learning and unlearning that I have left to do. And now, let's get to your calls. Hi, so I was wondering how I should handle a clinic where I do not necessarily feel at ease. The best clinic in my region promoted religion rather heavily, such as quotes on the walls in the office and waiting room. Uh, This was not communicated to myself nor my friend prior to our respective appointments. Uh, My attending gynecologist seemed really happy to treat me when I was in a stable long-term relationship with a man, especially regarding my inquiries for an IUD. My friend, on the other hand, who recently visited her, was made to feel rather uncomfortable due to their being single, queer, and also requesting an IUD. I feel it's such a vulnerable position to be mid-exam and realize your doctor-patient relationship is clearly at odds due to different beliefs. Is there any advice you might be able to offer, especially where healthcare can be really expensive or the more affordable places are often underfunded or poorly staffed? Thank you. Oh, listener, that's uh, that's a lot to unpack. Let's let's see let's see what we can do here. Now, first, it is not a doctor's job to share their religious or moral values with you as a patient. It is their job to listen to your concerns, to hear about what you need, what are your symptoms, and and to really to try and think holistically about your health and then offer you the best care they can. It's not up to doctors to decide who should or shouldn't get an IUD based on their relationship status or sexual identity. Uh, The real questions that should have been asked should have been around whether a hormonal or a copper IUD was better suited based on your body and your lived experience. And discussing the pros and cons of different contraceptive methods so that you can make an informed decision on what method is going to work best for you, your lifestyle, your body, your routines, your schedules. But what do we do when we're confronted with these? Healthcare providers and doctors are people with biases and opinions of their own, which will undoubtedly impact the care that they provide. And the awful truth is that is it put on us as patients to do our research on what type of care clinics offer and whether they operate from a sex-positive approach, from a pro-choice stance, from offering gender-affirming care by being a queer-inclusive space. And these spaces, particularly depending on where you live, can be far and few in between. Now, there are some online options that give us the freedom to have conversations with healthcare providers who maybe aren't local to us, or who can offer us prescriptions that we can pick up where we do live. Um, I would highly recommend checking those out online, seeing maybe what's available and if they are offering online appointments to new patients. I'll also say that the inequity is rampant, particularly for BIPOC folks accessing care, those living in rural rather than urban areas, folks with disabilities, and those seeking queer inclusive sexual health care. And we don't have enough sex-positive and safe clinics for people to have their needs met. 
Now, what we really need is value-based work that helps healthcare providers separate out their own values from the care that they offer their patients. And this is vital for addressing issues like these at a larger scale. We're so hesitant in so much of society to talk openly about sexual health and to such an extent that it's often only a footnote in healthcare providers' training and it's even more rare when personal beliefs and biases are addressed as impacting the care that one can provide. Sexual health educators, however, at least in the program that I did and in many reputable training programs, they begin with a sexual attitudes awareness and training where we unpack our own biases and work to remove them from how we teach. More on values in a minute, but like you said, caller, there can be clinics that don't have the best resources, even if they are the most inclusive. That's all well and good if you believe everyone has a right to choose a contraception method that works best for them and their bodies. But if you don't have access to a wide variety of contraception methods that you can administer, then it's not actually that helpful. Now, there's a research article called One Size Doesn't Fit All, Understanding Healthcare Practitioners' Perceptions, Attitudes, and Behaviors Towards Sexual and Reproductive Health and Rights in Low-Resource Settings. Really just rolls off the tongue, but the article is really interesting and the findings highlight the tension between values, practice, and access to resources. This is what it says in the article. The findings suggest that there is a disconnect between what the healthcare practitioners knew about sexual and reproductive health and rights and their preparedness to ensure that these rights were upheld in practice. Although the sexual and reproductive health and rights were accepted as universal, their application depended on which component and required adaptation to individual or societal norms and economic settings. So training for healthcare practitioners needs to therefore provide opportunities for value clarification to help healthcare practitioners become more aware of how deeply rooted these attitudes are and how these can enable or block health services. So knowing these large issues, what can I offer in terms of advice? First, look into clinics that promote themselves as being inclusive, that purposely say on their websites, or social media pages, and at the clinic itself, that they are offering safe spaces. Because thinking that we are creating a safe space is not the same as explicitly stating what our values are and what we do to uphold them. And if there isn't one available in your area, do see if they offer online sessions where you can connect with one of their doctors who does uphold these values. Now, here in Canada, we are offering self-testing programs for STIs, as well as online screening, uh, such as the program Get Checked Online here in British Columbia. What it's trying to do with this program is to combat the inequitable access to sexual health services and to really destigmatize that experience. I have used Get Checked Online myself. You go online, you fill out the form based on what kind of testing you'd like to have done, and you bring that form to a clinic. Most towns, even if they're smaller ones, will have some sort of clinic. Maybe it's attached to the hospital. And a lot of the testing you can do on your own. You can just go in and then test yourself. That means going into the bathroom and peeing in a cup, doing a oral, an anal, or a vaginal swab, and just submitting those, and you could do it all anonymously. Again, that's what we have here in BC, but look if they have other online options where you live. Also, for IUD insertions or removals in particular, a sexual health clinic or a gynecologist will probably be your best bet because they do this all the time and will likely have greater experience than a general practitioner or a walk-in clinic doctor or healthcare provider. And as cheesy as it sounds, uh, this article about the tips for how to talk to your doctor about sex actually had some good advice. Like, prepare what you want to talk about. 
Bring props and resources to show that you've done your own research. Practice having the conversation ahead of time with a friend or a partner and bring someone with you so you can have an ally in the room to help advocate for your rights and hopefully make you feel a little calmer for that conversation. Of course, the articles are linked in the episode description and on my website for you to check out. Let's share some feedback and then get to my interview with Rachel Leary. This is a message that I got from a follower on Instagram, and they said, I can't believe you actually answered me. I love Levi's and yours videos, and your podcast gave me the courage to talk to my boyfriend and ask him out. Thank you very, very much. And yes, I will answer you if you send me a message or a voice memo on Instagram, I promise. Now sit back or walk or lay down. I don't really know how you like to listen to your podcast, but you know, whatever works for you and be prepared to love Rachel Leary's English accent. It's a great thing about having uh, my husband as a YouTuber. I'm like, oh, I have lights. I have a camera. Oh, your husband does YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Well, we actually just like just transitioned it to it was Levi Save the World Hildebrand for like a long time. But he just launched a new channel focusing on like sustainable brands. And now this other channel, which was the old one, now we've rebranded is like Levi and Leah. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like welcome to the YouTube space. Oh, it's I have so many questions for you about like the YouTube space, the personalities, like how do you how do you deal with it and dating? Like oh I, I'm totally getting ahead of myself. I have not even like done any of my like setup, but know that I have lots to ask you. If you're down, like how yep, sure. how personal are you willing to to get with me today? Um well I read a few of your questions and I was thinking I was like, I wonder what you've like seen of me to ask me like those types of things. But I've got some interesting I've like I thought about like my answers for them, um, which does sort of um kind of go into the darker side of sort of social media. So um I can get personal with you. I'm quite an open it'll it depends on no, I'm I'm an open I'm an open book. I feel like it would be very off brand of me if I was like, um, you can't ask me that because I talk about all sorts when it comes to things like this. So I'm ready. Yeah, definitely. And again, if there's like anything that you're like, mm, cut that, not into it, like absolutely, like fair game. That okay, it, you do not have to ask about it. So, hello, Rachel Leary. Welcome to Love Doctor Podcast. I'm so excited to to talk to you. And I'm, I think what I'll start off is what I get folks to do is like, tell me a bit about yourself. Like, you know, you best tell me like, what's your deal? Like, how did you become who you are? And I don't know, that's maybe a big question. (laughs) Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on. As someone that's recently just started their own podcast, I've actually forgotten what it's like to be on the other side of it. I mean, I feel like it's exactly the same for you. Uh, Leah was just on my podcast, so now the roles have reversed. I'm in the hot seat today, and it feels kind of weird, but thank you so much for having me on. Um, A little bit about me. Oh my God, when people ask that, what do you say? Um, Well, how did I get into it, I guess? Um, I feel like I started my YouTube at a time, it was timing for me, I think. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with like the big OG, like British YouTubers, like Zoella, Tanya Burr, like people like that. Um, So that's kind of where my YouTube fascination kind of started is I used to get home from school and be so excited for a makeup tutorial to be uploaded or something like that. Like I just loved it. And then they're obviously a bit older than me, but they were kind of like the only main people on YouTube. And even my mum can testify. I just like from even being a child loved being in front of the camera. We used to make home videos and with the like 
uh, the cameras with their little flip screens and I'd always be like I want you to turn it around because I want to see like me on the on the screen and I used to like use the camera and pretend I was like doing the weather like I just loved to be I say performing uh but I on my YouTube I don't perform I feel like I'm pretty authentic but that's always just been something and my mum's always been like I knew you would do something like that but going back to kind of how I got into it um yeah I, I used to watch these older people on YouTube and I was like there's no one like my age like that I that is like around uh, and doing it and that I can like really relate to on a personal level because they're the same age as me so I kind of put my two passions together of like makeup tutorials because that's actually where I originally started out was just makeup tutorials um and like video editing and my first ever video was like I think I've kept it on my channel because it's just so bad like it's so bad and then again timing played a lot into it because then it was only like really my third video where I did an Ariana Grande inspired makeup tutorial because she just dropped this music video and I was like oh my god I love her makeup I feel like people are going to be searching for that so let me do a tutorial on it and it just kind of snowballed from there and then as I got more comfortable doing videos my personality was able to come out and I feel like people really love seeing your personality online and finding someone that they can relate to so I feel like I was doing it at a time where it wasn't super super popular either so I feel like these days an influencer a youtuber is something that everyone wants and tries to be so it's so it's so much more popular now and therefore harder to get sort of noticed so I feel like timing was very important but for me it just sort of stemmed from my passion for makeup and then now obviously I do videos on all sorts as I've developed my personality and my character and stuff that's kind of like led me led me to this point sorry that was so long for someone that was like um I don't know what to say about myself I suddenly was just talking for a very long time Sorry. <laughs> no, that was great. Well, and you know, I, I think the thing that's like really fascinating about what you said and and again, on totally like different scales, like my experience of like sharing myself like on like Instagram or YouTube, whichever, is that it is different. Like it's it's not performing. Like of course, you know, what you're sharing online is is still a curated version of of who you are because it can't be exactly like authentic. But like you said, there's a difference between sharing your life online and being like a personality than it is from like being an actor, right? So like, how has that kind of worked for you? Like, I think for for me, it's come up in terms of like assumptions that people have about you or feeling like really intimately, like people know you. Like, is that something that's come up from like fans or people who follow you? Yeah, I feel like your followers can tell when you're being authentic. And I think being, you ask anyone that's kind of big on the internet, like, what are your three tips for being successful? And they'll always tell you to be yourself like your audience I feel like people are savages these days your audience kind of knows like when it's fake and that's one thing that people don't like is when you're being fake like that's on the internet that's probably the worst insult like like trait to be associated with it's like oh my god like I've heard that youtuber is is so fake like that kind of thing obviously not everyone is like happy all of all of the time but you get, I think, the most engagement when you're being real, like just showing that you are just the same as everyone else. You go through exactly the same as everyone else because um, relatability is is key. And and that's that's what makes me so upset. Sorry to just go like a little bit off tangent, but like when you see people start off 
small but like their engagement's really good like people like love this person and then it's because of all of the love that they get that they become so successful and they become so famous and then therefore you personally can't relate to them anymore and then they start getting hate and it's like it's such a shame like when you feel like you can't relate to someone anymore that instantly means that they need to like sort of like get hate and stuff like that when it's like actually it's it's because they were so relatable in the first place that so many people related to them which is like you know skyrocketed their followers and their engagement and stuff and then because of that it's like they're so like not relatable anymore it's like a vicious cycle I sometimes I'm glad that I'm at the sort of mediocre level that I am because I would hate for people to feel like they can't relate to me anymore because you know I feel like I pride myself on being authentic and relatable I feel like that's kind of how I've got to this point in general Mm -hmm. absolutely you know and I think there's like different standards there as well like I think being a woman there are certain like expectations that people have with you to like well you have to be like flawlessly gorgeous but also like super humble and accessible and i i feel like like you said like people feeling like you're fake or like are not accessible anymore i wonder if it's different between male and female youtubers because you know are people who who share like their their lives online have you felt do you think there's like a bit of that difference defo because i feel like a lot of the comments that i get from women especially is oh my god it's so refreshing to like follow someone that's not a size six and like you know has the same body type as me it's like so, it's so refreshing to sort of see yeah like uh, like I feel like whenever you do your clothing hauls like your body's really similar to mine you'd never really see that with guys like you know they're unless they're like a specific like fitness influencer you don't you don't really see people following uh, what am I trying to say I feel like someone with a, a woman with a, a seemingly you know, like, uh, our society's image of a perfect body, that might be a reason to, like, not follow them. Whereas for men, with, like, the six-pack abs and stuff, like, God, like you'd be like, oh, I'm gonna, I want to follow them. Like, I, it's so polar opposite, and it's so bizarre. And, like, I never know whether or not to sort of take it as a compliment. Like, when girls say that to me, like, I, I mean, I love that, like, you know, you can relate to my body type and stuff like that, but that that shouldn't be, just, I don't know, I'm trying to say, like, with women and bodies, it's all just like, ah, like, just because someone, like, flaunts their body, people are just like, oh, like, I'm not following her, like, she's just so, like, blah, blah, blah. but because I don't, you're, like, praising me for it, but you don't know that I'm thinking, like, I might be thinking in my head, like, oh, like, I wish I, I wish I did, like, do you know, do you know what I mean? It, it's, it's such, it's such double standards and, it's such a shame, like, shame that that's kind of, like, what it's come to, but, I I mean, I, like, appreciate the compliments, but this is the thing, are they compliments? Like, I don't know, like, it's, it's kind of, like, thank you, question mark, like, that's kind of, like, what I want to say. Yeah, it's, like, a damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? It's, like, I was just watching this TikTok the other day where someone was, like, oh, like, if you dress a certain way, people are gonna, like, look at you. And of course, there's all sorts of like slut shaming and stuff in that. And it's like, oh, well, leave something to the imagination. They're like, okay, so I should be more modest. So you can still imagine me in a sexual way. Like, what do I do for you to not imagine me in a sexual way? And there's this whole kind of like, slut prude, like dichotomy It's like be one or the other, but we want you to like walk that fine line that I don't think a lot of 
male influencers would feel that same pressure. Yeah, being a woman in 2021 with a social media platform and therefore sort of opening yourself up to thousands and thousands of thousands of opinions is create like I mean I don't know how, I mean I'm not on a level where I feel like it's like that but to the people that do and especially these days I feel like social media influencers like especially big ones are like getting younger and younger like hats off to them because I just I don't know if I could do that <laughs> yeah absolutely and well and when you're so young too like you're trying to figure out like who you are and there's so and like your body is changing your body changes throughout your life but especially if you're like young and like you're I mean most of us we still go through puberty until we're like 21 so I'm like yeah there's still a lot happening in your body and your brain hasn't even like fully developed so it's I think it would be really hard to try and pair those things and I guess like one of one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot and I wanted to ask you was kind of like this sexualization like versus agency you know like we, I, I get questions all the time about being like oh if I see someone on TikTok who's like wearing this certain thing or dancing like you know does she feel empowered in that or is that like through the male gaze so like what is what is that like, you know, for you as an influencer, like you talk openly like like about your body, but that's not really like what you focus on. Like how how has that worked? No, so I feel like and I don't know if this is cuz I am slightly like I would say I'm slightly on like the bigger side of society's like norm in terms of like a body type. Like I've got really like big boobs. Um I'm not like I haven't got like a flat stomach or anything like that. So I, a lot of my sort of <laughs> sexual comments, if you will, is normally from women like pra like praising me and just saying like, you make me feel confident because you, you seemingly are so confident with your body. Like you make me feel normal. And like, I love that. I've never actually really, besides the odd like DM, like felt really sort of sexualized by uh men so much like on my Instagram per se but um I don't know if that's just because I don't see the messages or I don't know what's being said about me like by but like being sent on group chats or like anything like that but um I will say I have experienced especially recently um I posted a YouTube video it was like me working with a brand they're like a, an underwear brand um and I contractually had to do a like Valentine's Day lingerie Haul. I personally don't get my full body out like on those hauls. I'm quite comfortable with just like the top half. I feel like you can't actually really sort of get your f like full body out like on YouTube anyway. It's just the rules. And I don't know what happened, but last year, um, I was like looking at my Creator Studio app, and I was like, what? Like that video has gone up like a hundred thousand views like, in a week. Like sometimes YouTube just promotes a video, and you like it gets promoted to literally like so many people it's kind of like a, a viral like that's how you go viral and not that that video went viral but it suddenly was gaining so much attention from people that weren't my followers that and like uh, people on YouTube like you can hide yourself fully on YouTube like the comments that I were getting I, I like felt like I wanted to delete that video I was like I don't know how this has become like on everyone's homepage or like how people are suddenly seeing this video but it literally gained like uh it's now on like nearly two million views and that's very like not that if you know my channel I don't get two million views a lot especially on a video like that that was just like a, a an underwear haul like for Valentine's Day I think even like when I first posted it it only reached like 
30,000 views and I thought like, you know, that that was going to be it, like whatever. It put things into perspective for me, the fact that like that doesn't happen to me a lot. And when it was happening, like all the comments from like these men, like I assume they were men, I guess, but from like their names and obviously every single person didn't have a picture, like they never do. Just feeling like they are entitled to comment on your body and just like, just like kind of like gross, like fetid, like it just was weird um and it just made me feel so uncomfortable and then I just suddenly thought like oh my god like this is like the tiniest experience I'm having of like what people that get those millions and millions of views like on every single thing that they do like they go through this and I'm just like that happened on one video of people commenting about my body because it was body focused but I can't imagine what that feels like to happen like on every single bit of content that you do everyone commenting like on your body and parts of your body and stuff so because that doesn't happen to me often I don't and like a lot of my sort of comments when it comes to my body are normally positive in a way of like you know promoting body positivity and just showcasing a different type of body that you don't see but then because that particular video was all about like underwear and my boobs and like trying different things obviously you don't get your tits out on YouTube but like you know just trying these different things on because like I had to and it going viral and receiving millions of opinions I was like so oh so this is the like darker side of you know so many people watching your stuff everyone feels entitled to comment yeah, definitely. Well, and it, and you know what? Also, it kind of indicates like people are like, oh, like the algorithm or everything else. You're like, well, we don't remember that like the algorithm is like created like by people. And you could see how even if like in a similar vein, like you made this like one video, like you said, especially if you're doing like, you know, like integrated brand content, you're like, hey, this is the kind of video I'm going to do. And it's me trying on like different bras. But like you said, that's not like the normal thing on your channel. But for people who are like maybe like just starting out, they're like, wow, this video did so well. And even though you had to deal with those comments, you're like, okay, well, maybe I should just create more stuff like that. So it just keeps feeding into that, that cycle. It depends really, because, you know, when you're a woman, like, it's, it's hard, because basically, if you dress a certain way, people think that you're doing it for the male gaze. So then you sort of dress a different way, because you don't want to do that but, like, at the end of the day, that's still for, like, the male gaze, but you're just going, like, a different route about it because you're being, like, I want to get... Obviously, speaking as a heterosexual, like, female, like, I I want to get a guy's attention, but I don't want to do what everyone else is... I don't want to do what they're doing. It's, like, either way, we're all doing the same sort of thing. If you want to capitalise off of that sort of attention, good for you, like, like, fair enough, like, do you know what I mean, do it, like, no one's saying don't, but, like, we shouldn't also then be shaming people, like, for doing it differently, like, do you know what I mean, like, any way is sort of fine, as long as you're comfortable with it, that, for me, was an experience that just sort of showed me, like, I, I don't, I don't want to get that attention on that level again, like it, like I don't want a viral video about my boobs. Like that, that's like that's not what I want because it, it just made me feel really just like oh, it's not just like my little community that was just watching my you know underwear hole. Suddenly it began, and I think what had to play into it was like the thumbnail. Like at the time, I kind of thought nothing of it, but now when I look at it, I'm like I could see why maybe 
men wanted to click on and watch that. So it was, that was kind of the point that I took from it because obviously I still had to do like hauls for them in the future. But I was like, I'm just going to be mindful now because I didn't like that attention. I'm not going to do that thumbnail again. <laughs> like type thing so many things you need to consider when it comes to like the content and attention but like it was definitely like a learning sort of sort of curve but some sometimes things like that you can't help like I didn't promote it it was like from a year ago like I don't know how it happened it just kind of was a little bit of a moment where I was like whoa okay so like I've, I've had all good sort of experiences with my body on the internet so far but like that I just did wasn't in my comfort zone Definitely. When you have to do all these like mental gymnastics to be like, okay, like when I was doing it, um, my that wasn't my original like intent, right? That people were going to be like sexualizing me or making comments about that. And it, like you said, it, you're, what do you do? You're like, well, I want to present my body because like I love my body and I look sexy wearing this thing. But then people are, are going to make all sorts of assumptions about like – Oh my gosh. Like, I think one of the main things that comes up for me is like, as soon as you start sharing like anything about like your body online, then people seem to think you're like, oh, either like you're pretty or you're like intelligent. And so there starts to be this whole thing of like questioning like intelligence and stuff. Like, is that an assumption that people have, have kind of made as well? Like, it's, it's, it's hard to like balance that as well. And again, as a woman, uh, we face far more scrutiny in that area than so many other people. Yeah, I feel like because I haven't really gotten my body out until sort of like the last couple of years, my followers got to know me before they sort of knew my body, if that makes sense. Like I don't even do like really body related content. But again, it was uh, when I did like I got like uh, sort of like brands working with me that were like underwear brands and stuff. So therefore, you kind of have to get your body out. Um you you gain a different audience maybe people that relate to your body and stuff like that like that's nice but I think because my followers got to know me and my personality before ever seeing my body like my for my actual followers and the people like so therefore I kind of care what they think like they've grown with me like that's never really been in question um for new followers that maybe just like or new people let's say that just like come across your profile they probably make those judgments. I'm quite lucky. I don't get a lot of hate or like anyone, you know, like questioning my intelligence or like anything like that. But I think that's because I'm at a level that's just like, it's not like, I'm, I'm like popular online, but I'm not so popular that you can't relate to me anymore. And it's not like a really intimidating, like, number compared to other social media influencers I feel like if my followers were in the like millions then I probably would which is just such a shame like I don't know why people think just because someone's got like a million followers that a comment like that is they're not gonna see it or offend them because trust me I feel like you'd be surprised the people with like millions of followers they see a lot of the comments still and I feel like people feel like they they must not see so like I can say whatever I want because they're not going to see and I'm not going to be held accountable when it's like actually they probably they probably do yeah definitely and more and more than you would think is right I you know I was thinking I was um I was watching the assumptions video that you did um I think it was like earlier in October and what I thought was really interesting kind of related to what we're talking about is like when it comes to like dating how is that so different as like an influencer where literally you share your life online but also like even if you were to like start dating someone and post a picture of them like I for a long time I debated how much I wanted to be on Levi's channel 
because I was like, oh gosh, like people are going to follow my Instagram and what are they going to find? Like how has that, like, is that a consideration for you when you're like thinking about dating someone? Well, de- like definitely. I think like it's definitely a consideration and then it's kind of a self-sabotaging type thing because because that's something to consider sometimes I don't like live in the moment of like giving someone a chance because I'm already sort of assessing their personality and I'm thinking like oh well you know like do you sort of understand my job will will you understand my job will you understand my schedule and and if I think it's going to be like a question mark I've already kind of like ruled it out um I've never actually had a relationship like online and I actually don't do a huge amount of dating and I don't know if that's subconsciously because of my job I feel like a lot of guys uh, from what I've like kind of like not like feedback that I've had but um just some some, like friends advice and like opinions and stuff I would hate people to think this but I feel like just from the outside I might look quite intimidating um just someone on Instagram with like a lot of followers a blue tick like you just might think oh god I'm not even gonna try with her like um because I've got no chance type thing whereas you know for me I'm just like is there something wrong with me like why don't I date like everyone feels like oh my god like who's in your dms like I bet you've got loads of people in your dms it's like actually no I don't like I feel like I have to put in a lot of effort when it comes to dating like for me actually like apps and stuff are quite good for me because you know it's not it's not a social media page or anything you don't have followers on there you're just pictures and if people like the way that you look then okay and then you start chatting and it's like okay and then I don't always tell people like what my job is if it doesn't come up like I'd rather not because it's sort of like how how do I explain because I feel like there's lots of elements to it and I don't want to scare people off because I know like the way the male brain works, if you could present like everything on the table, like you have got everything going for you. I'm not saying that I do, but like uh, like a successful one, you've got everything going for you. Subconsciously, they're going to be like, well, <laughs> okay. So like it's in their nature to sort of want to be like more dominant and like provide and like be the breadwinner, like you're a man, like that type of thing. But if you can do that for all for yourself, they're just, it's a bit like, oh, so they can't, I probably won't be able to do anything for her and it's just it it feels a little bit intimidating so yeah I I feel like when it comes to dating I'm like the worst person to ask because I just like not like I've given up with it but because I find that it's me that has to put the effort in and I would just love for someone to put the effort in with me I just find myself not bothering like in general um but then I see people obviously they make it work they've got like relationships and they talk about it on their social medias and stuff and I'm, and it's like I, I think that I want that but then when I witness the breakup or like if you know if they don't post them for a while just like could I deal with so many people having an opinion on my relationship probably not like I I, I don't know so I'm kind of like glad that I don't I want one but I don't there's like there's pros and cons to it to it both and when you're on social media with a platform there is so many things to think about which I wish you didn't have to think about yeah there's kind of there's those two main things that uh that are really like coming up for me and what you're saying and I guess like the first thing is I mean I'm I'm bisexual so in terms of like dating and also I'm like I'm married so like dating's kind of a different a different field uh but you know that assumption if you're gonna go on a date and it's like a man and woman going on a date those like 
gender stereotypes are still so much playing into that, right? Of being like, oh, well, I need to, you know, like if I'm truly a man and all of these like masculinity things, I need to be making more money or do whatever. And like you said, it's still, unfortunately, is really shitty that that men could feel intimidated by someone who is successful, someone who is beautiful, someone who is not afraid to be really authentic and to share their lives online. And, you know, how hard that must be to kind of make that differentiation. I mean, in some ways, they kind of eliminate themselves. You're like, oh, if you're intimidated by me, all right, bye, like you're not worth my time. But that must be so hard too. like those, like already dating and trying to find someone who isn't so like, caught up in those like, gender narratives of how we react to each other instead of being like, we're human beings, let's just date. Yeah. And I feel like there's the expectation or like, you sort of think, you know, so therefore, because I feel this way, maybe I need to date someone that's in the same industry as me. But then that just comes along with so many other problems of like, they've got their all of their own followers, and then you've got yours. And then they've all they're all gonna have their opinions. And then it sort of is a question mark of like, is this like a publicity like relationship or, or something like that. And it's quite nice. I feel like when you're in this industry, you know that it's nice to talk to people that don't do what you do and just like have I'm quotation marking here like normal conversations about like other things like as much as you may think that this isn't true I actually don't like talking about myself a lot like I really not that it makes me uncomfortable but I feel like my social media like platform and world is kind of like my little bubble and it would take someone very special and that that I would have to be comfortable with to like even let them like in that but then again I also want to share my relationship on uh, this I I just wish it was like different I wish there was a way to like share a relationship online but like also not like at the same time and like I've never experienced it I've never put like a relationship online but that's because I've never really been like in a long-term serious relationship because I've been sort of so well I've told myself I've just been so focused on like work and I'm quite an independent woman I know that I bring a lot to the table I think I set my standards like very high which I think we all should like you should never like settle for anything like less than than what you think you deserve but um I feel like that's it's been a blessing and a curse like when it comes to dating to like have these kind of like higher standards because yeah I feel like I set the bar quite high but I don't know it's because I feel like they're the people that will be able to handle me if that make if that makes sense yeah definitely well and and you know it's it's a real mix there where like your social media like presence it's built around you but it's also your job like this is your business right and so trying to make that really clear to someone like I feel like and again, we said like on, on myself on a very different scale, thinking about how much of myself do I share online? Because is that going to impact, you know, brands that I could work with? Or for me, like if I'm going to apply to work at a university, like how much do I want them to know about like me being bisexual? I want to be really open about that. But is that going to impact, you know, my potential like hireability? So it's the same sort of thing. Like if you think about dating or even if you're like introducing like family members and things like that, like people can be ruthless online of like scrutinizing people and it's a whole other thing where I see I see what you mean like it'd be nice to like date someone who's totally unrelated to like that whole world yeah and I, and I feel like I've 
the whole time I've been on social media, I've never had a boyfriend. So I don't even know if that plays into why people follow me, for example, or why they find me relatable. Like I'm just like a single girl thriving in her like mid 20s. If I suddenly was to get a boyfriend, would people be like, oh, like she's not going to do her like she's not going to be going like because I do a lot of like drunk, like going out content, like nights out content. Is that content going to stop because she's now got a boyfriend? Like I might, uh, that's a, an element of it that I've never really sort of considered because I've not like been been in that situation. But that that again might definitely play into it, like subconsciously, and might even be true. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And like you said too, like your your content is like fun and relatable. Like you go to Paris for the weekend, and you're like, you know, like this is my friend and I, like having like a really like fun experience. And people, you know, there's kind of that double edged sword. If people want that voyeurism and to feel like they're going on that trip with you. So that's, I guess I want to be really cognizant of well. So like for me as a sexual health educator, I'm always interested, like how is this impacting people's like love and romance? But at the same time, I don't want to like limit the work that you do that is not at all about like your sexuality, your body. It's about your own intellectual property and creating your social media personality online. So I don't know, like, is that Maybe maybe less of like, is that something it's hard about? But even if people were to ask you questions about it, is it something like you said, like, are they always asking you about your DMs and things? Is there like an overemphasis on things you don't want to be necessarily chatting about? It, well, it's, it's weird because I feel like it's in our human nature to just be curious about people's sex lives and just like sex in general. Like, you know, people say sex sells and like... We, we, we're all curious about it like what so whenever I put like a question box up on my Instagram like for a video and stuff nine times out of ten the question is sexual related and it I feel like but I feel like that's the same with everyone and just people want to know or it's like people want to know that they're normal like it's they'll subconsciously ask me a question that they're thinking about themselves and they just want to know if like I'm the same and and stuff so like like you said and I can say as well like my content is not intentionally sexual content but I am just a relatable 25 year old girl on the internet so the fact that a lot of comments well not comments like questions that I might get or dms that I might get are sort of sex related that doesn't shock me because in my eyes I just sort of see that as okay people think that I'm relatable and they can come to me with this kind of thing and you know um I appear and I am like a someone that you can ask these kind of questions to. So I, I don't really see it as like a bad thing and I completely understand why it happens, even as someone that doesn't necessarily post that content. Because maybe sometimes when you are that person, like for example, like you being a sex health educator, you might still find people that are, that, that would rather ask me a question than you a question because with you, they're going to get like a really clear-cut scientific like proper answer but subconsciously that might not actually be like what they want they might just want like advice from a friend but like they don't actually have that friend so like they might just see me as like a friend online to ask that kind of question too if that makes sense yeah definitely well like you know you've been able to like share yourself authentically online so people feel that intimate connection to you and feel like they can ask you like it it is amazing you know, and I have a hard time separating. I'm like, are people asking me really like, you know, personal questions because of my job or is it because I'm trying to create relatable content, right? So sometimes I'm like, wow, people are sending me their most like 
intimate, like deep thoughts. And like even, you know, when we were doing the episode for, for your podcast, like how much that, that came up that listeners have those really personal questions. And like, I guess for me, I'm wondering about, you know, starting uh, your new podcast. Like, was that a part of it? You wanted to have like a platform to be able to have those more intimate conversations? That was exactly it. Like I have a passion anyway for just like learning new things. Like, isn't it just so fun? Like when you watch something new on Netflix or like you read a book and you just like want to tell everyone about it and be like, oh my God, I watched this amazing thing. Like, let me put you on and like it, it I really loved being able to like inform people about like cool things that I'd done or like researched or just like watched etc etc and I sort of combined that with the fact that people felt so comfortable asking me sexual questions like whenever I did like girl talk videos um the feedback from them was always so great in the in supposedly the way that I responded like I would answer in a way that makes it lighthearted, makes it fun, makes it less uncomfortable, but still sort of helping at the same time. And I just thought, you know what, like, I don't want to do a podcast like everyone else and just get random people on and it just be another place for me to chat shit. Like I do that enough, like on my YouTube videos in person, I wanted this to be a place where I'm doing those kind of girl talk videos, but with, you know, actually having conversations with people that can actually provide expert advice like as much as you think that my advice might be like expert advice I am not an expert I think the reason that you're watching me is because you relate to me I'm the same as you I'm just a normal person so like let me take this opportunity to create a platform where I'm having conversations with experts just like anyone else like would and want to and it's been so fun and like I've learned so much like whenever I record an episode I'm so excited to tell my friends about it because I learned so much on every single one like the one with you like after we get off like off of this I'm gonna be like oh my god I just had like like you guys can't wait for you to listen to it on Monday because we just talk about so many things and you know it's been and it is just like so fun like learning is so fun and I feel like I'm learning as well and I think the relatability of feeling like we're learning together, like while speaking to experts like you, like, I don't know, I, th- I guess people just enjoy that. It's it, And I'm asking questions that a 25 year old girl would ask if, if given the opportunity. So I, I was like in limbo about what I wanted my podcast to be about. And when I sort of came up with this concept, I was like, that just feels right. And it's going to be something that I enjoy. I, again, another thing that I think people say when it comes to how to be successful or whatever I wouldn't call myself that just yet but um people always say you've got to make sure that you're enjoying the content that you're creating otherwise you're just going to lose interest and I can honestly say I have not had an episode where I've you know not been excited or not enjoyed it I've because I'm I'm learning so much along the way and yeah like I said I'm enjoying it and I just get so excited to share these conversations with my followers and it makes me so happy that they're also happy learning as well about topics that I think are super important definitely you know I think it speaks to maybe that like safe space that you've created with your followers as well, where they feel like they can ask you that. And, you know, so exciting that you said as well. I think there's a lot of people who like who offer advice, but without that caveat of saying, also, here's somebody else that you could listen to or somewhere else where you could go. Okay, so I have this a slightly personal question, but just about like, now that you're kind of on this journey, and again, like your your podcast, like Rach Leary rated R is not all about 
sexual content. It's about adult content. But, you know, like, what kind of, like, sex ed did you receive growing up? Like, did you learn about how to have these conversations? Or is it something that, you know, as you've received these questions, you're like, oh, my God, there's such a need for these conversations? Um, I, like, yeah, when I I thought about that question, I thought, like, I don't actually think I ever had a sit-down conversation with my parents, like, about sex but there was a book in the house about it and I don't know if that was just put there for like us to discover and like sort of learn on our own I I don't know but I do remember us having a a book that's just kind of like unlocked a memory like I suddenly was like oh yeah we did have a book in the house like about it but um sex like I remember the sex ed sort of lessons in school just being so basic and when I was thinking about this as well um and just like how old fashioned it is, like you never got taught about sex for people in like LGBTQ community. Like it was always man, woman, penis, vagina, how not to get pregnant, like all of those kind of things. And then as you get older, and it's the same for most things. Like for example, I used to work on a makeup counter, and I had no sort of makeup training, like in a school, like being taught how to do makeup. I learned as I went along type thing and learned from other people, like their techniques and stuff like that. And I feel like it's the same sort of with sex ed. Like there's only like a lot of sexual education comes from experiencing it yourself, which is sort of sad in a sense, like you've got to go through it to like learn about it. But with most things, that is how you learn from certain things. Or like if you talk about it with like other people and stuff, so yeah, I guess growing up, I had the basics, like a book, you learn about it in school, people giggled at the at the word penis, so like it, it didn't really get so far, um, and then you, a lot of sex ed, I guess, comes from just like the playground at school, people talking about it, as you get older, people experimenting and talking and things happening and stuff, I would love to be a fly on the wall in a sex education in like class in 2021 and just see like what kind of stuff they're teaching now because I feel like the conversation of sex thankfully has well and it's still not as open as it should be it's so much more open we are it's so much more accessible there's so many more like podcasts and tv shows like on it because people are realizing we want to be talking about it so I'd be very interested to see like actually what a sex ed class in 2021 look is like what is being taught right now. Yeah. In some ways, I, f- I feel like it's not nearly as, as good as it needs to be. But uh, really interesting, you said too, like there is so much in terms of like sex education that you just, you can't get until you have experienced that yourself. And I mean, I, I can say this on a podcast, which is great, but I can't like go into a grade seven class and be like, let me tell you about these these emotions that you're going to feel when you start having sex with someone. Like, are you ready? I kind of frame it as like, are you ready for the pleasures? And are you ready for the risks that come with doing that? And there's a lot of emotional things that come up for people. But I can't go, yeah, go to like a 13-year-old and be like, well, you know what? You should just go have sex and then you can find out. Like, obviously, that's not going to be my advice. Yeah. But unfortunately, that that is kind of part of it without having experienced it and reflecting on that. How are you supposed to know, like moving forward, like what is going to be pleasurable and what your boundaries are? Definitely. And I do think that it is important to teach the younger generation about 
same-sex relationships and all of that kind of stuff because from what I hear and like from like uh like my friends being gay and stuff like they knew from when they were like four or five and stuff so to then it this is meant to be a lesson like a lesson that you're being taught and but you're not listening to anything that you personally feel like you can relate to and stuff it can be quite like damaging and triggering and like I don't know if parents are like the old like just scared for their kids to be taught that because they think the internalized sort of like homophobia type thing of like not wanting your kids to be taught that kind of stuff uh, where it's like actually if your child is gay they probably know it themselves already so don't you want them to be taught like the safe ways of like of navigating that and stuff like I don't know why parents are like so scared for that to be sort of taught in school I think even if you are straight like it would still be nice to be taught like that kind of thing so if I do encounter like if my friend decides well not decides but if my friend just well yeah decides to tell me that you know they're gay and stuff like I can like understand like I, I it, it it's education like even if it doesn't necessarily apply to you educating yourself on things like that what is the harm in that I feel like people are so scared to be educated on something when it doesn't like apply to them like they feel like there's no need like why do I need to be taught that when you know it's not relevant to me when it's like actually if you were educated on that you know your opinion and your thoughts and stuff would be way more open and there would be less well not like issues but you you know what I mean like less conflicts in situations yeah well you'd hope so definitely and then like I'll also say like as like the educator and researcher side of myself is that we're learning more and more that like our sexual identities and orientations are fluid like throughout our lives and like they can change. So learning about sex in an inclusive way, I think is just better for all of us, right? Because you don't know how that might evolve throughout your life. And I'll also just say as like a little educational plug that at least in the part of Canada that I'm living in, the folks who are having the highest rates of like unintended pregnancies and STIs are queer kids because they're not receiving sex ed that's telling them about their bodies. Like they're like, oh, like here's somebody who's just going to talk about penis and vagina sex or just talk about like when a boy loves a girl and they turn their brains off because they don't see themselves reflected. And I'm like, okay, but like queer sex can be like procreative sex. That can happen. And I, why is it, like, breaking news whenever there's, like, a children's book with, like, like two men as a couple in it? Like, why is that, like, breaking news? There's a new... It's just, like, what? You see that in everyday society just because it's, like, in a book now. It's, like, oh, this is so shocking. And then that adds to the fact that that's, that, that's a shock. Like, that shouldn't be, norm, like, normalised. And it, it's just... It's crazy. The day that, you know, everyone just accepts one another will be... A fabulous day for everyone, let me tell you that. But the fact that we're still in a society where that's a shock and it's newsworthy, I think it's just so odd. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so to wrap it up, to to combat all of that, you know, people feeling like we're not getting the right kind of sex education, like we're not getting inclusive sex ed, tell me, okay, not... Probably you can't pick a favorite. And you you can't say me because you just interviewed me for your (laughs) podcast. But so far, what has been a conversation that you are like so excited and you want people to really to listen to and to learn more about? What's I and again, so hard. I couldn't do this myself, but I'm totally putting you on the spot. 
a conversation that I had that was what the most like just something that you think like based on what we've been talking about like there's like sexualization the fact that it impacts like women disproportionately the sex ed we should receive like is there like a conversation from your new podcast that you're like if everyone heard this the world would be a better place um well that's a good one I feel like two sort of stand out and it's because they're opposites. So I had a conversation um, with a woman called Kay and she is a sex therapist. So she had a lot of psychological, you know, viewpoints of why we do this, how this might help. And I think that's an angle that it's always been so fascinating to me. I, lo- I did psychology in school. I love like that side of things. I think a lot of people do, um, you know, uh, especially talking to like a therapist I love the way that I mean I love to hate the way that they just almost know you better than you do and can speak on like behalf of people from like an environmental and social standpoint and like giving you these things to consider and I think that's just like so fascinating um especially when it comes to sex and like why why people act the way that they do so that was really good but my most recent episodes um just gone I spoke to Dr. Luan and she is a like scientist a neurologist she studies the biology of people she wrote two books about the male brain and the female brain and her opinions and thoughts are all very much like the nature side of the argument like why people act the way that they do because of specific parts of their brain and it was it's so funny because that like information is something that I think not a lot of us know about like we could all sort of relate behavior to social factors and environmental factors like that information is a lot more accessible to the everyday person of like understanding behavior and why people do the things that they do it's just nice to hear a different side and of a topic that you know we've all got our thoughts and opinions on but to hear like a real like scientific breakdown of you know it's it's funny because like she she was like saying you know we need to give men a break like you know they've actually got like a part of their brain that's a lot smaller than ours so really and that goes against everything that you probably get taught from social media and like and that and that kind of stuff so it was just nice like to have to hear a different sort of side of it uh, that I didn't know really anything about and it and that goes back to what I said about just you know opening up your mind to other people's opinions and well it's not just her opinion it's, it was like scientific facts but like it, it was just nice to hear actually a different side of things compared to what you always hear so it, yeah it, I feel like they're probably two of my my favorite conversations because they were just so opposite of you know, breaking things down and like understanding, but I enjoyed it. I went away from both of them being like, oh my God, did you know like this, this and this? And I couldn't wait to like share the just like the different sort of nature nurture uh, uh, conversations that I'd had about like sex and behavior and why do men do this? And why do we do that? Like, I I feel like they're probably two that stand out. That's amazing. I, I guess, okay. Okay, very, very last question. And it'll just be like a simple, like, yes or no has your own like sense of your sexual like self been improved by doing your podcast do you know what I feel like yes because especially it's sort of like less sexual but I did an episode 
all about periods with um, a period expert. And that, I left that episode as, again, that was probably one that was, had a lot of impact on me because it was a topic that I've always been a bit, not like hesitant, like it's it's personal to me. I've, I've gone through a, a, a period journey myself, but like when I like hung up or like the interview with her, I was just like, right, that's it. I am going to book myself in. I'm just going to get checked. Like I'm going to come off of my pill. Like that one had a lot of like impact on me and I don't think I would have taken that step if I hadn't spoken to her and just like hearing what she had to say and just like the importance of our own like health and stuff so it's definitely improved me taking things more seriously in that like retrospect but um sexually I feel like it's just made me more like enlightened and knowledgeable and it gives me something to talk about like with other people like people love to talk about sex like well actually 90% of people like like to talk about sex like I feel like it's just a topic that's just so there's so many different layers to it and I feel like with my episodes I'm trying to go into all the layers of it with like different people and and stuff so I always find that I've got so much to talk about because i I can come back to the podcast and be like, so I have this podcast and I had this guest on and talk about it with with other people, but sort of make it into a conversation that's not about me and my podcast, but just like a topic of conversation. I'm just, I'm so happy with it and, and the way that it's made me feel. This is like the, one of my platforms, not that my other two do, because I enjoy everything that I do, but this is probably my favorite platform. It, it, it doesn't feel like a job. It, it just feels like I'm... I'm sort of back in school, but in like a really like nice way talking about actual like relevant things that I can apply to my everyday life. And I do apply to my everyday life. Um, I've, I've just, I've been loving it. Yeah, that's so amazing. And I, so I, I, I feel like I, I echo like so much of what you just said of learning so much of your own journey. And I so appreciate like you coming on my podcast for having me on your podcast and the work that that you're doing to normalize these conversations. I'm going to have uh, links in the um, episode description, but also up on my website of all of your socials. So I cannot wait for people to go and listen and check it out. Uh, yeah, thank you so much, Rachel. I, I so appreciated having you. Thank you. I can't wait to go away and like tell everyone like about this. But isn't it, doesn't it feel so good just like telling people about stuff that you've learned today I feel like one of my like love languages is like acts of service and I don't know why but like I feel like educating people on things like this is almost like an act of service and I just like I it makes me so happy having these conversations like this to be able to go and tell other people so like I I feel like you probably feel the same on that so thank you so much for having me on thank you so much for joining me today on the love doctor podcast On the next episode of the podcast, which is the last episode of season two, I'm talking about my journey of removing my IUD and answering the many questions you sent in about what that process has been like so far and what it's like getting a period again after 11 years without one. I just started it today and I can tell you, oh, I forgot how much I disliked having a period. If you have a question for the show, send me a voice memo to the love doctor podcast at gmail.com or send me a voice message on Instagram at dr.leatidy. Even if you don't send in a question, you can check me out on Instagram or Twitter. And if you like what you're hearing, hey, leave a review, share it with your friends and let me know what you thought of this episode. Until then, folks, stay healthy, stay safe, 
stay consensual.